0: My uh, son-in-law uh, gave me a ride to church this morning, uh, and he saw the bag I had, and he saw this notebook. He said, uh, "That looks like a lot of notes. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, it's got more. It, it, it's actually a lot more than 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 the notes. So don't be too frightened. I I really just want to." I do have some notes and I want to walk through a, a, an account and acts I kind of got carried away with this week uh, but uh, but I really just want to share some things from my heart um, pertaining to the resurrection of course the resurrection of Christ uh, we if to me, if this resurrection Sunday, if you don't if you don't preach about the resurrection of Christ, you you should be fired or something. That you know, it's it, it's it's a must. It's a must. And so, um, but anyway, I I was in Acts uh, this week. Uh, the apostle Paul had it on his heart to go to Jerusalem to uh, bring a gift of relief. Uh, help from the Gentile Christians in the churches that that he had founded on his missionary journeys to the impoverished uh, Jewish Christians in Jerusalem and and some you know so you have these Gentile churches sending money uh, to the uh, to the Church of Jerusalem and Paul this was a big deal for Paul it's really one of the major uh, as far as I can tell one of the major uh, efforts of his his career he uh, uh, some Christians see something of a, uh, a socialist, a sentiment in the early church in uh, in Jerusalem, because the believers were you know just filled with enthusiasm of this newborn faith. And Acts two says uh, they had all things, you know, all the possessions, uh, in common. And, and then in, uh, the next verse says, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And and to some Christians in the past and and even now, that kind of sounds like. From each according to his ability, to each according to his need. You know, they, and so the, some argue that the early church, Jerusalem church, was a, uh, there's a socialist uh, sentiment there. Um, Christians of a more capitalist bent note correctly, I think, that the generosity of the early Jerusalem church was entirely voluntary. So, which, unlike any truly socialist society, so and, and you see it most clearly in uh, Peter's words to this uh, fellow Ananias you know this Ananias and Sapphira you know this uh, story of Ananias and Sapphira Uh, they had they pretended to uh, they they sold the proceeds to the land everybody's giving away Barnabas is Barnabas is getting you know everybody thinks Barnabas is a great guy he sold his property and gave it to gave the proceeds to the church to distribute among the poor and and the uh, and Ananias and Sapphira they want in on some of that so they sold a piece of property and they gave part of the proceeds uh, to the church to distribute among the poor, but they said it was all of it. They said, you know, they said this is the whole thing, but they were holding some back. Uh, and Peter said to, to Ananias, he says, while it remained unsold, it, you know, Peter says, why did you do this? Why did you do this? Why are you lying? You're lying to the Holy Spirit. He says, while it remained unsold, did it not remain at your disposal? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Or While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? After it was sold, was it not at your disposal? In other words, Ananias said, I mean, uh, Peter said, Ananias, no no one made you sell the land. You didn't have to sell that land just because that's what people in the church are doing, just because there are poor people in the church. that need, it. You didn't have to do that. And even after you sold it, you, the proceeds belong to you, Peter says, you could have, you could have given some of it, or you could have given all of it, or you could have given some of it, you could have given none of it. And it wouldn't have been a problem. It's the, He said it's the hypocrisy uh, of pretending to give it all that's the problem here. And then, you know, if you've, Acts chapter 5, if you've read it, what followed, I think it's the first bad church experience in the history of the church, <laughs> Right? the first really bad church experience Ananias and Sapphire, they in fact they never went back to that church again or any other church yeah you, know, you know why because they died <laughs> Peter said that, that, you know they're going to carry you out feet first and they dropped dead you know both of them they uh, but it but it does show this that the early church it wasn't socialist and that it denied the uh, validity of private property and, and then capitalist Christians they they kind of go too far when they try to get some mileage out of the fact that see what happened they had socialist tendencies in the in the first and then later they become impoverished you know and they need help from the the gentile the gentile Christians I was really surprised to read this uh, New Testament scholar F.F. Bruce he he wrote a very famous New Testament or or biblical scholar not just New Testament scholar uh, but uh, but very well respected um, um, uh, student of the scriptures, a scholar, biblical scholar who, who talked about this. He, he wrote in the 1960s, it, he's talking about the, Jerus- the early churches, what they did in Jerusalem, giving away, selling everything and give it, distributing among the poor. He says it had certain practical drawbacks. Indeed perhaps the chronic poverty which seems to have afflicted the Jerusalem church in later decades may not be unconnected. With the exhaustion of the common pool into which the members placed their property, so he said, maybe that's probably why it could be why they ended up poor like that. They they were so that seems a bridge too far for me, especially since Acts 11 said 11:27. We want to look it up, but it, 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 it's not that important. But it, it, it attributes the poverty in Jerusalem to a famine that was worldwide. So it, it seems too far to say, you know, to say. Uh, well, no, it's because of their—they were uh, this irresponsible giving stuff away in the beginning—that uh, that they fell into poverty. But so, you know, so that's a little aside. The early church wasn't socialist, nor was socialism to blame for their poverty later on. Uh, but for whatever reason, the the Christians in Jerusalem were in a bad way, and the Apostle Paul raised money from largely from these Gentile churches, founded on his missionary journeys for the relief of the Jewish Christians of Jerusalem. And, and like I said, it was one, if you kind of read between the lines, or not even between the lines in the New Testament, it was one of the major things that Paul did. I mean, it, it's, it takes a, you know, two whole chapters of Second Corinthians are about it, about that effort, Second Corinthians eight and nine. There's a kind of a long paragraph in, in uh, Romans 15 that's about this effort to raise money for the Jerusalem church. Uh, a paragraph first Corinthians you know the beginning of, of chapter 16 and and you, you see it alluded to time and again Paul is always bringing this up this he, he want of raising this money to uh, from the largely Gentile churches to send to Jerusalem and when you read those passages and if you read them I, I think you'd agree that Paul's main concern was not the gift itself he wasn't like these people really need help we got to get them this help and they're going to starve if they don't get the that it's not the help itself it's it's not the money but he wants to unite uh, the jewish christians and the gentile christians he he wants them uh together he wants them to be one he in a way he's not letting a crisis go to waste you know he's there's this crisis and he's going to use this opportunity to, uh, he wants the J- Jewish Christians at Jerusalem to acknowledge their unity with the Gentile Christians. Uh, he wants the Gentile r- Christians to recognize their kinship with the, with the Jew- Christians of the Jewish background. Maybe even he wants the Gentile Christians to recognize their dependence on the Jewish, uh, not the Jewish Christians per se, but the, their dependence on, on Judaism, on, on the uh, Jewish people for being God's chosen instrument to bring the Messiah into the world he wants them to be one and you know these these Jewish Christians who grew up considering gentiles as dogs they're this like second class they're subhuman can you imagine what that would be you know you need the money you know, they 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 needed the money and to take money from these gentile you know it would be humbling wouldn't it it'd be humbling but you they but they they did it and then even the Gentile Christians helping out the Jewish that you know who, who considered them dogs you know that, that they would they would be giving money to the uh, uh, to these Jewish uh, Jewish Christians so Paul Paul's looking for his practical expression of a unity in Christ that trumps race and, and class he says Galatians 3 there's neither in Christ there's neither Jew, nor Greek. There's neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free. No, neither. There's no male or female. For you all one in Christ Jesus. I mean, so what's? Let's stop for a minute because this is relevant. Is race a relevant thing in today's? You know, is anybody talking about race? What's the Christian answer uh, to racism? It it isn't intersectionality, is it? It isn't figure out who's got the biggest grievance and put them at the top and the next one. You know, it isn't a uh, it, it isn't hyphenated Christianity, is it? You know, like the, the Jewish Christians, Gentile Christians. It it isn't uh, well, Let's open up an office of diversity. I might be getting in trouble here. I think our denomination has one, but it isn't opening up an office of diversity, right? It isn't having a. Right? Don't tell, head, don't tell HQ I said that. But, but it isn't, is it? If Paul established an office of diversity in, you know, in, in Jerusalem and another one... Now, it, it, here it is. There are no races in Christ. In, in fact, there's only one race anyway. It's, it's the human race. And all are made in God's image... All are fallen, and in Christ there's no Jew, there's no Greek, there's no Jew, there's no Gentile. There's no rich, there's no poor. You're, you're either in Adam, there's a human race, and you're either in Adam, a, a, a natural man, you know, Paul says in a different context. In other words, just the way, just the way we come, you know, just born of this world, a, a natural man, separated from God. Or you or you're in Christ, you're a member of God's household by faith in Christ by grace through faith. that's, that's the Christian answer. And, and there's every reason to think that Paul was successful in this project. It really doesn't say, it doesn't say exactly but but here's my evidence for it that, that this was a successful effort and, and you know how, you know how we know there's no gen, what developed out of Paul's lifetime was not a Gentile church and, a, and a, uh, a Jewish church. That's how you know. It didn't happen. Th- this was a great, there was a real opportunity in this because of this conflict and because of these differences. There was a real opportunity for denomina- denominationalism, am I saying that, denominations? <laughs> Let's just say that, there was the denominationalism. There was a great opportunity for denominationalism isn't there In that, in that, right? What a great, yeah! Just have a Gentile church and have a a, a Jewish church, and you could do some things together. You could meet from time to time. You could have some community services and things like that. But you know, but you know, we really need to. That didn't happen. It didn't happen. And Paul would think, uh, well, we know this, right? Praise God, it didn't happen. Thank the Lord, it didn't happen. Well, when Paul finally made it to you say what's this have to do with the resurrection we're, we're getting there um, when Paul finally made it to Jerusalem it was the unbelieving Jews by unbelieving Jews I mean non-Christian Jews uh, that were really made trouble for him and and, uh, and Paul had been warned that such would be the case Christians you know leading up this Christians are begging Paul not to go to Jerusalem no no it's not about the church there that's not going to be your problem Paul it's the the Jewish the Jewish people there the non Christian you know the the ones who have not accepted Christ they, they hate you They're, this is not going to go well they they hate you a a prophetically gifted man by the name of Agabus prophesied of his imprisonment if Paul went through it uh th- there's at least now I'll say this in this sanctuary here right Yes, right now there's in this sanctuary there's at least one Christian who thinks that Paul made a mistake in going to Jerusalem. That he, he missed God's will for his life. He should have listened to counsel. He should have. He ought to listen to the Spirit's warnings. He he might have extended his ministry uh, and gotten to Spain like he hoped. He w- he wanted to take the gospel to Spain, and and some people think he did, and some that he didn't, but. It seems like he didn't. And rather you know, rather than that happening and Paul being able to take the gospel to Spain, he kind of set in motion a series of events that ended in his martyrdom at Rome. And so you, you can read for yourself, about beginning about Acts twenty one, see what you think. But basically the Jews at Jerusalem couldn't wait to get their hands on this turncoat Saul of Tarsus. Uh, this former persecutor of the church and what what is he now instead he's the greatest missionary the christians ever <laughs> will ever have the great you know it's like they just couldn't wait to get their hands on this guy there's a near riot uh the local roman uh, tribune it says uh he's kind of re- reprising the role of uh, pontius pilate from jesus day at it's uh, the job. I don't know how parallel his job was to Pilate's job as governor, but they're doing the same thing. It seems like that job in Jerusalem, the, the, the whoever's in charge in Jerusalem for the Romans, seems like the job never changes. It's handle these Jewish religious controversies and keep them from fomenting up into rebellion—that some sort of rebellion or riot that would draw the attention of the bosses back at Rome and make trouble for the Roman governor. So, so the Roman tribute there in uh, in Jerusalem he there, because of this riot starting he basically he arrests Paul places Paul under arrest but really just to put him in protective custody just to protect him from the uh, from the Jewish mob and and Paul for his part he parlays the you uh, know uh, he parlays it into an opportunity to share publicly his testimony and that's Acts chapter 22. That's one of the two main accounts we have from Paul's mouth about his, uh, uh, about his conversion. We'll say, we'll say it that way now. But what does Paul tell about? And here's where we get to resurrection. When Paul gets to tell his story, what is his story? He tells about an encounter with the risen Jesus Christ he talks about Christ as a living person right then who spoke to him. who He had a conversation with him. He, he was a Pharisee. Uh, Paul was a Pharisee. He's going about the Lord's work the way he saw it at the time. He's on his way to the city of Damascus to do what he could to suppress this Jesus movement, whatever this Jesus stuff was about. He's wanted to suppress it. He had letters. He had been deputized. He had authority to imprison people. And he even says this. He says, he quote, persecuted the way. That's one of the terms they use for the Christians, the way. Uh, he persecuted the way to the death. He says. I mean how did that take shape? What did he did he have authority to have people killed? Is that what yeah but that's what he says. He persecuted the way to the death and listen what he says as I was on my way and drew near to Damascus this is Acts 22 6 and following by the way about noon a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me and I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me Saul Saul why are you persecuting me and I answered who are you Lord and we could say, maybe he means sir there. Who are you, sir? He says, who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. <laughs> now those who were with me saw the light, but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, what shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, rise and go to Damascus, and there you will be told all that is appointed for you to do. I mean, think about that. This is what he says. This is his testimony. So who, who was this person who interrupted your journey, Paul? Who was this? It was Jesus of Nazareth. And think of it. Jesus of Nazareth, who died on the cross in Jerusalem, probably a couple of years before this. Probably a couple of years before. Now, you can debate how, how many, but it's, it's months at least. It's months, at least months, probably a couple of years. Could be as many as three. Three years before, Jesus was crucified, and he says, this same Jesus interrupted me on my way to Damascus and spoke to me, challenged me, said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He spoke to you? Yeah, yes, yes. So Paul didn't become a Christian when someone explained the plan of salvation to him. You, you see, he didn't become a Christian because somebody explained to him the plan of salvation. He nobody Romans wrote it him, right? Now he he didn't get the Romans road. You know, the, you know our sin Romans three twenty three, Romans six twenty three. You know he what well, why he hadn't written it yet, right? He hadn't written Romans yet. No one. Should, it wasn't the four spiritual laws, right? He. He. he it, it was a personal encounter with the living person Jesus of Nazareth, and guess what? It still is. It still is. Now you. You may have started out. Somebody explained to you the four spiritual laws, right? Someone. Took you down the Romans road. Romans three, all of sin falls short of the glory of God. Romans six, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life, Christ Jesus. But if it took, it's because what came after that was a personal relationship with a living Lord. That couldn't have happened unless he was raised from the dead. You see that? You know, Christianity is the only religion that is based on a one-on-one personal relationship with its founder. I've said it I'm not the first to say it, I know, but I've said it lots recent weeks. Christianity properly understood is not a religion about Christ, it's a relationship with Christ. Christ you know Paul before Damascus road Paul had a religion I mean he had a religion running out of his ears he was a he, you know he he had his, he says his own testimony you see he had everybody beaten a religion department he had everybody beat if anyone else thinks this is Philippians 3 if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh I have more circumcised on the eighth day in other words, in strict accordance with the law, he got started out right. We might say, baptized when I was eight. <laughs> of the people of Israel, member of the chosen people. Of the tribe of Benjamin, proud, honorable, history, ancestry. Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, the stickler, he's a religious perfectionist. As to zeal of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. And what does he say now? He says, whatever gain I had, whatever all that was worth, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of... You remember what the next words are? Knowing Christ. Jesus, my Lord, for His sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I might know Him. There it is again. That I might know Him and the power of His resurrection. Here's the point. Jesus, because He's risen from the dead, because He's risen, He's risen indeed. Because He is risen, He can be known here and now. And no religion about a dead man or a dead person can compare with that no matter what the name is. Muhammad is dead. He can't be known now. Buddha is dead. They don't don't claim anything different. Those who follow his way, Confucius is dead. You take it all down. You get way down the list. Mary Baker Eddy is dead. (laughs) Joseph Smith is dead. You know Joseph Smith. Anybody know Joseph? Know of Joseph Smith? I know you don't know Joseph Smith. I say I. Uh, This is a polemic, it's just a a polemic, I I know, but I I, I enjoy saying sometimes when it comes up that you really should be careful before you get your religion from a guy named Joe Smith. You know, Joe Smith, really. But Joseph Smith cannot be known, he's he's, he's dead. I never knew my grandfather. I never knew my grandfather on my my mother's side, none of us did, why? He died when when our mom was uh, young he can't be known he's gone but jesus is not there the angels said to the women who came to the tomb uh, that to perfume the body of jesus why do you look for the living among the dead he's not here he's he's risen he's alive because he's risen from the dead he's alive he can be known so this question of personal application is is this i mean and and think you know if you if you don't take anything else from today from being here today uh, this is this is uh, this is worth the price of admission right here to, to if you consider deeply and seriously the question, do you know Christ? Do I know Christ? Do you uh, well, what what's it like when you know someone do you do you talk to him You're on a first name basis is is there something in you that seeks to please him is uh, uh does it grieve you that to to lay another sin at his cross um, do you want to know him better because it is we don't see him you know, the New Testament says though we don't see him we love him uh, do you do you want to know him better are are you looking forward to seeing him face to face and kind of re- the next step in your knowing him do, are you are you looking forward to seeing him even if you do so with fear and trembling you know even if it's there's something scary about it do you look forward to it do you want to and, and and if you you know, and if you don't know him, you, you you can actually cut through all the historical evidences for Christ's resurrection, and, and the and the historical evidences for Christ's resurrection, I'm I'm just convinced there they are plentiful and they are persuasive. Uh, that, that the case for Jesus being risen from the dead historically is uh, is solid, especially when you consider that if if he's not risen from the dead. You have to explain what happened in other ways. You know what explains the the explosive growth of the early church. What explains the changed lives and demeanor of the apostles? you know, you know what, especially when you try to fit in some alternative theory. You know, it's uh, the historical evidences for the resurrection of Christ are great. But listen, you can cut through all that and know for yourself because every Christian does, and you you can get to the bottom of it by Seeking to know Him. Uh, introduce yourself to Him. Uh, invite Him into your life. Welcome Him, as John 1, 12 says. Welcome Him. Receive Him. Pray to Him. Talk to Him. Uh, get to know Him through His Word. Worship Him. and And see if He doesn't make Himself known to you. And he'll do it, won't he? You you know it. He'll do that. He'll do that. I mean, he did for me, and nothing's been the same for the forty years. Nothing over about forty. Nothing's been the same. Uh, listen to the uh, listen to the testimony of an old man. Not this old man. A different old man. This one's the uh, Apostle John. An eyewitness to the life and times of Jesus of Nazareth. He knew Je- when he was a young man, he knew Jesus you know, personally. Uh, and now he's writing about 60 years after, after all of that. And he's writing to people who were not even born, who almost certainly weren't even born when Jesus lived and died and, uh, on the cross and rose from the dead and ascended into heaven. It's the beginning of 1 John. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son Jesus Christ and we're writing these things to you so that our joy may be complete let me paraphrase for you John is says as an old man now he says we and the other apostles we saw him face to face we saw Jesus face to face we saw him with our own eyes the wonderful things he did we touched him we we ate with him we spoke with him we've heard the sound of his You know, we know what his voice was like and we, and those things you can't do, he said these younger people they can, because you weren't even born at the time, but we're proclaiming this same Jesus to you so that you can enter into the same ongoing relationship with him that we have right now, us apostles and you you can't have what we had, but you can have what we have now, and you can have this same. John is saying that, that you can have the same fellowship I've been having with the risen Jesus for the last 60 years. And that's possible because we serve a living Lord and we serve a living Lord because he's risen from the dead. Uh, let's get back to the Apostle Paul and his trial and finish up. The, uh, uh, his Acts 22 testimony was going okay until he mentioned that Jesus was sending him to the Gentiles who you, you know you know the Je- the Jews regarded as subhumans. Here's what Acts twenty two twenty two says. Up to this word they listened to him. Then they raised their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth for he should not be allowed to live. He's about to give the Stephen treatment, you know, get the Stephen treatment he's preaching a sermon so good they're gonna kill him after after he before he finishes really. Uh, and Paul, uh, so the Tribune takes Paul back into custody again and get, it takes him away. But the, the next day he gathers the Jewish religious leaders together again because he really wants to get to the bottom of this whole thing. And Paul looks around and he sees that the leaders included both Pharisees and Sadducees, these two parties, these two theological parties. And they are united in their fear and loathing of this Christian sect. But they have their differences. They have their rivalries, and and uh, and Paul does something very clever. He, he exploits the differences. And he, yeah, the most basic difference, by the way, of course, Pharisees are the Sadducees. The most basic difference, and the one that Paul exploits here is that the Pharisees believed in life after death, the possibility of resurrection, and the Sadducees didn't see it. They didn't know when you're dead, you're dead. They uh, and and Paul makes his play, Acts 23, 6. You'll see see it. Now, when Paul perceived that one part were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, he cried out in the council, Brothers, I am a Pharisee, a son of Pharisees. It is with respect to the hope and the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial. Now, the, the ESV there, English Standard Version, and most other versions, they read a little clumsy there because it says the hope and the resurrection. You know, it's, uh, I'm on trial for the hope and the resurrection. Like it's, uh, like it's two things. Well, what's the hope? He's on trial for the hope. He's on trial for the resurrection of the dead. And, and uh, uh, most translations translate it that way, hope and, because in the Greek there's an and in there. That the and is there, so they, they put it in there. But he's almost certainly using a figure of speech uh, what grammarians, or the, if that's who would call it that, Hendiadys, whoever would be concerned about this sort of thing, and it's a way of adding intensity by using two words to describe, and with and connected by and to describe one thing. Wh- what is that? Well, you do it all the time. You don't, you don't know what Hendiadys is. You don't know you did it, but you do it all the time. You d- use this figure speech all the time. I, I think you might say, "I was good and mad." I was good and mad, <laughs> right? You mean I was two things? I was good, and then I was also mad. No, no, you—you you meant I was extra mad, right? <laughs> I'm good and mad, or—or or you're saying uh, 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 I was good and ready, or I was—it's nice and warm. It's nice and warm. You don't mean it's two things. It's one thing. You know, it's—it's—it's it's, uh, it's it making. I'm sick and tired. I'm sick and tired of, of something. You know, just try and make me. You—you you, you do it all the time. So I think that's what's going on here. So what? So. I think the new international version. It's the only version I found that that uh, that treats. I think gets it right. Then Paul, knowing that somewhere in the Sadducees, somewhere in the Pharisees, called out in the Sanhedrin, "My brothers, I'm a Pharisee, descended from Pharisees. I stand on trial because of the hope of the resurrection of the dead." He's just in t- that's what he really means. He's talking about one thing, not two things, not the hope in the resurrection. The hope it intensified. The hope we have in the resurrection, and he, and it works. The Pharisees end up defending Paul. They say, "Well, he's got a point there. We don't want to be like those guys." You <laughs> know, so. But here's the thing. Well, and we'll end with this: what Paul says about himself here is true of every Christian, and it's if you're a Christian it's true of you you and i are on trial for the hope of the resurrection of the dead you and i we staked our life on it we staked eternity on it we've staked our whole way of life on it you know when you think about this you know when you when you cry out to the Lord in prayer, when you pray, do you pray? I hope you do. Do you pray when you do that? When you call out to Jesus in prayer, I mean, what is that if there's no Jesus to talk to? Aren't you aren't you just talking to the walls if Jesus has not risen from the dead? When you when you confess your sins to Him. Do you confess your sins to him? I hope you do. First John one says to you should you restore that bro- temporarily broken relationship with the Father through confession. But you, what is that if there's no one to confess to? When you let your request be made known to him, as Philippians says we should. When you when you seek to please him, when you when you deny yourself and seek to follow Jesus, when you. No longer live for yourself, but for him who died for you, as Second Corinthians 5 says, and rose again. Uh, you are on trial for the hope of the resurrection of the dead. Because if Jesus is not raised from the dead, what, could, what can any of that mean? It's just nothing. If you, if you believe that your salvation is secure... I, I, I hope you do if you're if you count yourself a Christian I want you to know that that your salvation is secure you're, you're, you can't blow it so that you lose it right It's eternal He who hears and believes in me Jesus said has eternal life present possession has eternal means you can't lose it if you could lose it well you, you couldn't call it eternal would you tell your wife, I'll tell your husband, say, honey, I have an eternal love for you, and as long as you don't do anything too bad, it'll be there. It's eternal. No. It's eternal means you can't lose it. But if you believe that you are eternally secure in Christ, if you believe your sins are forgiven, and I hope you do, if you are count yourself a Christian, that your sins are forgiven, you put your head on a pillow, know that your sins are separated far as east is from west from you. It can't touch you. If you believe that when you close your eyes in death, you will open them in the presence of Jesus. Because uh, the New Testament is to be absent from the body, to be present with the Lord. If you believe that you open your eyes in, he- in death, that you'll that you'll be w- with the Lord and not in hell... And not in some hell-like purgatory for a thousand years or something to burn off the remains of sin. If you believe that you, to, that to be absent for you because you're in Christ to be absent from the Lord from the body is to be present with the Lord, then you are your whole life. You are on trial. What you believe, what you do, how you live, you are on trial for the hope of the resurrection. And, and why is that? It's specifically the, the New Testament says Romans 425 gives the the uh, resurrection of Christ as the evidence for your justification, the sign of your justification. Romans 425. He was delivered up because of our transgressions. He was raised up because of our justification. Here's the logic of it. We sinned, Therefore, Jesus went to the cross. God justified us, declared us righteous in Christ. Therefore, he raised him from the dead. And so you know. If Christ weren't risen, you could never be sure. But God gave us a sign that we are that our sins are forgiven, that we've been declared righteous in Christ. And that sign is the resurrection of Christ. That's why Paul says, if Christ is not raised, your faith is worthless, you're still in your sins. But your faith isn't worthless. You're not in your sins because Christ is risen from the dead. And if you I just want to say one more thing. And if you look forward to the day when you also and those you love in Christ will also be raised up then you are on trial for the hope of the resurrection of the dead. If you grieve for your dead in Christ but not as those who have no hope, but as those who have hope, if If you take comfort in the preacher saying you're going to see them again, you're going to hear their voice again, you're going to hold their hand again, you're going to hug them again. If your heart yearns for the day when we will be able to say, oh death, where is your victory? Oh death, where is your sting? That you were on trial the hope of the resurrection of the dead we are on trial but we're not ashamed and we're not frightened for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing but to us who are being saved it is the power of God so don't let the death and resurrection of Christ, don't let it be foolishness to you. That would be a sign you're perishing. It isn't foolishness at all. It's the power of God for the salvation of all who believe to the Jew first, Paul says, and also the Greek. Welcome the resurrected Christ into your life, and he will make himself known to you. Trust in what he did for you in his death and resurrection, and know, know that your sins have been forgiven. Look forward to what lies beyond this life because he, because he's alive, he can do this. He will take you to himself one day, And on the last day, raise you up from the dead. Because Christ is risen. He's risen indeed. Let's pray. Uh, Lord God, may the lives of your people be lived in the hope of the resurrection. Seeking to know you, not just about you, but to know you yourself rejoicing in a salvation that dwarfs the problems and sufferings of this life and looking forward with full confidence and faith that our resurrection, along with all who have placed their faith and stake their all in the resurrected Jesus, is yet to come. We do stand on trial for the hope of the resurrection and we are glad to do so because Christ is risen from the dead. The victory has already been won. The last enemy defeated Let any who have not trusted Christ do so today that they might begin to know you. This day might begin to know you in a personal and real way that their sins would be forgiven, that eternal life would be theirs, that our joy would be made full, that they would be eternally blessed, and that you would be glorified eternally. We pray in the victorious name of the risen Jesus. Amen.